0: Christians are supposed to be Christ-like, just as the name implied from when it was originally used in the first century, right up to our own postmodern world today. It's as simple as WWJD, right? Wrong. Join our show host, teacher, servant leader, and fellow traveler, Steve Russell, as we journey together in learning how lives daily renewed by God's grace and power can embrace Christian living that counts and makes a difference in a broken world.
1: Hey, welcome to our show today. This is our third installment. Just to catch you up a little bit, if you're just joining us for Christian Living That Counts, let me just recount real quickly the first couple of shows that we've done. Our first one was A Maiden Voyage, and you may be able to pick up that one on the uh, internet for a download right now if you wish. But it may not stay there. Frankly, it was a practice run, and appreciate those of you who listened and and, uh, critiqued and helped us get started in a a good and positive way. Last week, we spent some time talking about uh, how the Bible should be understood and how people can have misunderstandings about it that totally mislead their understandings of what the Bible really says. We're going to expand on that later in other broadcasts, so look forward to coming back to that. But today, another important thing to every Christian, especially the ones that are to live in, who want to live lives that count, is how the church fits in. The church today is uh, probably no more or less controversial than it always has been. Uh, you may be one of those people who's deeply embedded in a congregation and you don't have any uh, plans to put roots anywhere else. You've been in that church for a long, long time. You're going to stay. That's great. Then some of you are the seekers, the movers, the lookers, uh, the people who are looking around trying to find, what. well, what do I do now? I'm not real happy with what I'm doing. A couple of years ago, uh, my wife and I began a search. We uh, had come to a place where... Um, we got married. Uh, our anniversary was two years last December. And so we came to a place where we were looking around and I thought, well, when I marry this lady, uh, she's deeply rooted in a church and she's going to want to stay there. And, and um, I just might as well get ready to be a part of that. But oddly, the more we talked about it, the more she was ready to look, and I'd been in a looking mode for a long time. So we began doing some investigations. We began reading a number of books about church, what others were thinking, what others were saying and writing. We began to delve into the Bible in a deep way about what church could be, what it should be. And we came up uh, after a period of time, and uh, a lot of book reading, a lot of sharing, a lot of prayer, and a lot of church visiting. We have a little bit different count. She she tells me it's a little over twenty, and I still maintain we visited a little over thirty churches. But we did our we did our due diligence out there in visiting a variety of con- congregations, and not trying to take away uh, from any of them or come with any judgmental attitudes. But just to learn and to take what we were picking up from the books and from scripture and from our own uh, personal convictions and leadership of the holy spirit we were trying to come to it and say all right what is this church doing that seems to line up with what we're reading or seeing or feeling and uh, what's it not doing so again after many many church visits uh, lots of books and so on these are 10 things that we came up with in today's broadcast i want to go over those 10 things with you the very first one that we came up with that a church The kind of church that we'd like to be a part of should be a church that's focused on Christian discipleship. I like the late Dallas Willard's word for discipleship. He called it becoming Jesus' apprentice. I really like the sense of that word and what it means. It means that we're watching a master uh, live, in his case, his craft and live out his teachings, and we are to apprentice those we are to follow in his footsteps, just as though we were apprenticing a carpenter or some other skilled laborer we would want to learn from the ultimate skilled laborer how to reproduce uh, that skill in our in our living and with jesus that 's no different, so I like the term. And we decided that the very first thing that a church should do is be focused on Christian discipleship or apprenticeship. And that means following the teachings and lifestyle of Jesus himself. And we've already talked about how the fact that there are some 2,000 years separating us in culture and time and historical development and so on. So we realize there are going to be some some differences that are attributable just to the difference in histories and cultures. But at the same time, there are some immutable things that Jesus taught the way he lived that we think carried directly over into the lifestyle that we should be following today. So when we look at that, let's look at, at, at Jesus' lifestyle. It was simple. Uh, it was uh, a, a type of lifestyle that uh, did not carry around a lot of baggage, uh, and and uh, i'll come back to to that idea in just a moment but just thinking out loud about it also um it it was the kind of lifestyle that if you, if you listen to the teachings of Jesus it would range anywhere from uh his statement to invite people to come into his lifestyle because his yoke was easy and his burden is light and that's on one side and then almost paradoxically and, and and in contrast and in opposite he would say everyone needed to take up their cross and follow him one of them sounds like such a very pleasant journey the other one a very demanding journey so which one was it um well the fact is it it includes both and and all of those elements of both the taking up of the cross and the easy and the enjoyable lifestyle as well but we find so much Of the time today that many of our churches are driven by one word if I had to if I had to to, you know be held accountable just to one word to describe most churches I would say that most churches think that they need and have to and are mandated to grow there's nothing really wrong with with church growth it's a worthy goal if it means that you are leading others to Christ and into that discipleship and apprenticeship of his lifestyle and his teachings but uh the increasing numbers should always come from that pool if we're just swapping christians from one building or one location to the next one denominational title to the next or denominational to non-denominational and so forth we're really spinning our wheels and going nowhere so that that's not what we're talking about at all when we talk about growth Christian growth in church should, uh, when it's measured in church, not be measured by the number of people we get to come from the other side of town over to our side of town because we got uh, the greatest thing going. It should be based on discipleship. And as we've already said, that could be the joy of discipleship. It could also be the very deep and difficult challenges of discipleship that Jesus gave those uh, who followed him. So there's a range in there. But um, more than anything else, the idea is to go back to the lifestyle and teachings of Jesus and try and figure out uh, a way to uh, adopt that simplicity, that devotion, that dedication, that extreme commitment to to, uh, a lifestyle that pleases God and uh, finds out his mission and purpose for ourselves in our lives, and we go from there. So again... The, the the church of today, number one, more than anything else, should be focused on the Christian aspect of discipleship and apprenticeship to the lifestyle and teachings of Jesus. Another thing that we found in Scripture and in many books was the idea of using a number of different people in teaching uh, and other ministries in the church. Uh, we wanted people who were equippers we weren't looking for the charismatic feature attraction to draw and, and hold a crowd. Um, we just had a, a church here in, in the city where I live, the only mega church we can actually um, say that we have in our in our confines. A church that has about seventeen thousand members, and it just celebrated its sixtieth anniversary. One of the interesting observations made by the leader of that church, the pastor uh, teacher of that church. Was that he felt like such churches as this one, the megachurch model, would continue to grow while small churches would die away? Well, and as long as churches are trying to find uh, some type of entertainment model or some show that uh, brings people, draws people into the um, to the worship uh, time of that congregation, um, there's a good chance that he he might be right but uh, i felt kind of the hair come up on the back of my neck and then my hackles come up a little bit about discussing that because i don't think that uh, we ought to sound the uh, uh the trumpet sound of taps over the small church and the home churches just yet because they're not following that model and i've also noticed that in the large mega church models where you have a star attraction whether it be music or preaching and teaching or whether it be some combination of all those things The fact of the matter is, it's kind of like the old saying, you know, from the organ grinder. Uh, One day somebody saw him on the street, and they said, where's your organ? Where's your monkey? He said, well, the monkey died. I had to sell the organ. Uh, Show was over. I have seen megachurches, when they lose that charismatic leadership, again, regardless of what area of the talent pool it comes from, they lose that charismatic leadership, and all of a sudden, the monkey died. Uh, Might as well sell the organ. This historically is true because we know from even back in, in Great Britain from the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, when uh, that building was literally built to hold the crowds that Spurgeon, the great preacher, could draw. Today, those crowds are not that large, and it's a large and empty building. Why? Well, the monkey died, and the, the organ can't draw the crowd anymore by itself. So I hate to be so crass about that, and, and but I, but I mean that. Uh, we find that when churches are built on singular gifts and talents of, of individuals, when those individuals go off the scene, and they inevitably do, when they go off the scene, those churches find themselves with a huge facility, a lot of debt, a lot of real estate, and no way to fill it up again. It's It doesn't matter what metaphor you use to describe it, whether it's the monkey in the organ grinder or the circus who's got the star clowns or the star attraction in the three rings. As soon as the stars are gone, oftentimes that's what people were coming to see, and there's just simply not much left when those stars go away as they always do. So one of the other characteristics and the second one that we like to see in a thriving church is a church that is not dependent on just a handful of people but rather on a number of people who exercise their gifts and who are brought along so that that talent pool that gifted pool comes from a large number of people when somebody goes away they're not overly missed because god has said in the, in the bible that he has set his people into his church divinely in the, the way the church that needs certain gifts and certain people, they're in there by his direction. And so we believe that when a church is made up of rotation, of preaching and teaching and other equipping ministries, that those things are sustainable rather than the charismatic model, which is not sustainable. So focus on Christian discipleship. Rotate your major ministry responsibilities. And we'll be back in a minute to pick up after the first and second principles with more ways to build your church and good characteristics.
0: We'll return in a moment with host Steve Russell and Christian Living That Counts.
1: Many Christians worry about how to share their faith. They even feel guilty about not sharing. Hi, this is Steve Russell, host of Christian Living That Counts on toginet.com. Christians sharing their faith feel awkward and bothersome sometimes my friend Bobby Bateman has a unique way to break the ice and open the door for a casual conversation. Join us soon for the interview with Bobby about his unique idea or learn more now at his website, it's us.com. Once again, that website is itspersonaltous.com.
2: Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Be here for Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer.
1: Welcome back. This is show host Steve Russell. We're back with Christian Living that Counts. Hey, we're looking today at desirable church characteristics that uh, my wife and I came up with after many uh searches in the books that were being written, the scriptures and prayers and visit to a number of churches in and around our city and so forth and so we we've, we've come up with these characteristics. We talked about the first two. The first one we thought that the most primary and the 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 absolute uh, first priority of any church should be that it teaches Christian discipleship which means seriously following the teachings and the lifestyle of Jesus himself. A the second thing we covered in the first segment of the show was to rotate the ideas of the major ministries the teaching and preaching and music in the church so that you don't end up with just a handful or even smaller group of people who become the superstars to draw the crowd and you find yourself with empty buildings and empty programs when the superstars go off the scene as they always do. So I want to pick up in this segment with a third characteristic of a desirable church and that is something that I think the Bible's very strong in its teaching. And that is the churches that really are doing what God wants them to do, what pleases God, they are led by a group of elders. This elders can be a uh, a group of godly adults uh, who typically have experience. Um, they are also typically uh, volunteers rather than paid people, although com- compensation to, to Christian ministers is certainly taught in scriptures. It can also come from a large group of volunteers who give their times and their talents and their gifts back to the congregation. I lead uh, in this discussion about elder leadership because um, I grew up in a tradition of of a certain denomination, and our denomination was hooked on voting. Uh, The big thing was sort of the American model. We we voted on everything. We conducted the church business uh, like it was some type of democratic republic like the United States. And as I got older, even though I grew up deeply rooted in that denominational model, I began to look to the Bible and say, "Where are the votes. And and I've combed the Bible from, from one end to the other. And the closest thing I can find to an actual vote in the Bible occurred only one time. And that was when the tribes, the leaders of the different tribes of Israel, were voting on whether or not they should enter into the promised land. You'll recall the story. Uh, In the Old Testament, when the spies went into the Promised Land and they saw the land that flowed with milk and honey, but unfortunately it had formidable enemies in it that didn't exactly want to share their milk and honey. And so the question came, are we strong enough? Are we prepared? Is God powerful enough? Will he deliver us? Will he take us to victory? And so they took a vote, and uh, you will recall that the vote was overwhelmingly no. We're scared. God's too small. He can't help us. And so we're going to stay over here and shiver in our little corner of the, the world instead of going and possess the promised land. Except for the two men who cast the positive vote, Joshua and Caleb. Both men said that they, in fact, in the power of God, could go in and take the promised land. And that's that's the only vote I've actually been able to uncover uh, in all of Scripture, and uh, the majority was horribly wrong. They carried the day, and it cost the children of Israel 40 years in the wilderness as they tramped around until that generation died out, except for the two positive votes that were the minority report that came from Joshua and Caleb. But too often today we find churches that, uh, particularly in the denomination again that I grew up in, they think they ought to vote on something. I think I could actually make a case from Scripture, from the Bible, Uh, For casting lots, drawing straws, uh, cutting the cards, uh, doing about anything uh, is certainly more supported by Scripture than taking a vote. And therefore, I go back to this third principle when I say that a church that is really pleasing to God is being led by a group of godly, mature people. People uh, Many times in Scripture, if you do your research, uh, the word elder actually carries the connotation of older. It means people who are seasoned. Uh, they've got some experience both in the world and in their faith. And so these people are best able to lead uh, the church. And again, uh, when they rely on the uh, gifts that are given to them in the ideas of, of proclamation and teaching and counseling and uh, musical abilities and other leadership roles Uh, this variety of people is sustainable god continues to place these group of spirit-led and spirit-directed and spirit-gifted people into the congregation as as god desires and then therefore they are able to have a, a a highly functioning church one or two of these people stumbles. The, other, uh, the others are there to both uh, um, hold those folks accountable who stumble, restore them if they're willing to be restored, forgive them, and assure them of God's grace. In the meantime, the church does not miss a beat as it is continually led by spirit-led people. So, again, third characteristics, an elder-led church by a number of different godly adults in their mature years of their Christian faith as well as their their mature years of their lives. The next one, the fourth characteristic that we found, and this is sort of along the uh, the same lines of that, maybe closely akin to the idea of of being led by elders, but I'm going to use the word participatory you know oftentimes time today particularly the bane of mega churches is they become a group of performers and a group of spectators and and there was a lot of of uh, uh material written even some large churches they wanted uh, the church to be uh, what they called seeker friendly, but actually it was almost seeker anonymous. You could actually go and attend this congregation. nobody would ask your name, nobody would shake your hand. They just basically wanted to provide a quiet corner where you could stand and and not be confronted with uh with anything that was intimidating, including a friendly handshake and this 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 worried us a little bit because this creates very much the idea of of the spectator. Uh, and and performer type of relationship in church. Um, We think that a desirable church characteristic is that a a church is totally participatory. Everybody has a role to play. And so many different people uh, will be involved in spontaneous worship. Um, They will be sensitive to God's uh, Spirit's leadership um there will be diversity in music you know today in the churches we find the big controversy and it's almost a whole other broadcast to talk about the music in churches but in the part of the world i live in a big controversy over whether you have contemporary music or traditional music and sometimes you have a service devoted to either one or or both of those and they're separated but the fact is is that um We've got so many ways in the Christian faith, we ought to use them all. And so there'd be a variety and diversity in music, in drama, in preaching styles, uh, choral readings, solo readings, um, all types of interactive methods that could be used in the church. And um, th- we should be accepting of those styles that are not necessarily our favorites, but we should also be ready to embrace our own styles and contribute them to the congregation as well. The main thing that we want to guard against, I think in any church that wants to please his God and to please God and to be a desirable church, is a church that makes sure everybody has the opportunity to participate uh this 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 uh, really carries a good model. Nobody can come and see it. you know there's the old old eighty twenty principle, and uh you know some people think well out of a hundred percent of the people who participate. Um, uh, 80% of them are going to be really uh, those that don't do much. 20% are going to do all the work for the 80%. And uh, they're going to do all the giving and so forth and so forth. But uh, I'm not sure that's a good model. In true Christianity, it's hard to defend the 80% absenteeism from participation in the life of the church. I'm just not sure those folks really, really get it. Um, and I'm not sure where they belong in scale, uh, but uh, the fact of the matter is we want, we want a participatory church, and this is why that I, I think my wife and I came to the conclusion we can clearly advocate for small churches, and we can advocate for home churches and things like that. You know, if you uh, if you get in a venue where it's so large and there are very talented people, it automatically tends toward allowing those people to dominate and take over and ha- have the only roles that that have meaningful spotlights, so to speak, and, uh, and that thing can, can just snowball on into – uh the uh, carbon dioxide produced smoke on the stage and the and the laser lighting and all of a sudden you you've got a production on your hands and uh, people think there maybe maybe they think they're worshiping when they're there just simply observing but participation seems to be a much more biblical role and one that that fits into the lifestyle of the church so again uh the things we've covered in this segment so far is to be an elder-led congregation of godly people in their mature years and also a participatory congregation where everybody uh, has a part and we're not divided into charismatic performers and uh, non-participatory spectators. Uh, I'll close out this segment by thinking with you a little bit along the lines of whether or not a church should be non-denominational, autonomous, or whether it should seek to to, uh, be rooted into a denomination. A denomination traditionally has its, um, its ideas that if we cooperate together, we have uniformity of liturgy and a number of other things. And some denominations, um, that still um, has a sense of preservation of those things and is meaningful. But more and more today, we find the trends away from labels. Um, When we come back in in a little bit, I think I need to discuss that a little bit more. So I'll just leave you with the thought of the idea that we'll come back and discuss the advantages of denominations versus the non-denominational and uh, autonomous church bodies And uh, we'll pick that up when you come back with us here in just a moment. Join us again.
0: We'll return in a moment with host
1: Steve Russell and Christian Living That Counts. I want to tell you about the special underwriting sponsor of Christian Living That Counts. This is show host Steve Russell to introduce you to the Prefert family of Mount Pleasant, Texas. Prefert Manufacturing was founded by the late Marvin Prefert born inventor who moved his growing business to the heart of cattle country in northeast Texas in 1962. Since then, Prefert Manufacturing has become the leader in the highest quality of farm, ranch, and rodeo equipment, employing over 800 people and shipping their products worldwide. Bill Prefert, Marvin's son, assumed the leadership of the company in 1988 after the unexpected passing of his father, Marvin, Today, under their dad's watchful eye, the third generation of Bill's sons, Eddie, Nate, and Travis are carrying on the family tradition and business, including the Christian faith that they quickly credit with much of their success and growth. I'm proud to call the Prefert's friends and appreciate their making the internet radio broadcast of Christian living that counts possible. Learn more about this dedicated Christian family and their outstanding business at prefert.com. That's P R I E F E R T.com. Homeschooling? Have questions? Get your pen and paper ready.
2: It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNenney. Fridays at 5, 4 Central on TogiNet.com. Returning
0: with more of Christian Living That Counts, your host, Steve Russell.
1: Hey, welcome back. This is Steve Russell, host of Christian Living That Counts. We are renewed lives by God's Spirit and grace making a difference in a broken world. Today we're going over some desirable church characteristics, things that my wife and I discovered after an intense look into books and scripture and prayer and visiting a number of churches first two segments of the show today we've talked about five things first of all was the church being focused on christian discipleship going back to the teachings of jesus the lifestyle of jesus and truly embracing those in a serious way in our lives that we live today even though we're in the 21st century we looked at a second characteristic, which was a rotation of the preaching and uh, teaching and other ministry gifts so that we have a pool of people who are tapped for their spiritual giftedness and we're not dependent uh, on just a handful of people and uh, making sure that everybody has a chance to participate third characteristic was, the, the, was that the church would be elder-led by a group of godly adults, mature both in their Christian faith and in their years and experience in living. The fourth thing was that the church would be participatory. It wouldn't fall into a model of performers and spectators, but rather would give everybody a chance to truly worship and to truly exercise the, the gifts that they had And we had just uh, stopped on a fifth idea, whether or not denominationalism still has a place in the 21st century church or whether churches should seek to be non-denominational or autonomous, whether you should seek to be a part of a denominational body or a non-denominational one. We just started into that during our last segment. We'll pick up there for a minute because a couple of other things need to be said. I don't think it's any secret from my accent or from uh, a number of the mannerisms and the way that I speak that I hail from Texas. We Texans are proud of a lot of things, and being Texans is probably part of the head of the list. But I also know uh, also that in Texas, we've had a funny phenomenon occur over my lifetime. I was born into and grew up during my early years, probably the first 20 years of my life in what we called a one political party state. Uh, today there's been a 100% shift and we're a one party state again by and large. Guess what? The other party. So I grew up under the uh the uh domain of one party and have lived long enough to see the the uh the party emphasis entirely shift to the other party. But by and large, there was never much of a balance, and we've always been a one-party state or the other. All we've done is is change the shift, but pretty much singular. What you find, though, when you find yourself in parties, whether it's politics or um, ideologies or anything, once everybody feels the same way, then what you begin to have to discover is that everybody's not the same kind of whatever you want to call that party. Uh, in other words once you're one party then it starts to subdivide well the you know we're all this but there's the conservative group of this or the middle road group of this or the liberal group of this or there's this label or that label and so even though you get one party you get it subdivided and so denominationalism uh, kind of has i think that tendency I believe today in the 21st century, particularly in the United States, you could go to any denomination and you could probably find a spectrum from the most uh, ultra-conservative aspects of that denomination to probably very ultra-liberal aspects, all under the same banner. So the question then comes, well, what good is denominationalism? What does it really tell us when we see that a church is affiliated with a certain ideology or a certain denomination? Uh, and again this this fragments it divides and 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 here we go. What does it really mean? On the other hand, there are churches who never set out to be denominational or affiliated. They have no church hierarchy, so that uh churches or councils or um um or superintendents or bishops or other th- other things outside the the church itself, which we tend to refer to as an autonomous church. Uh, and some autonomous churches even affiliate with denominations. So it gets very confusing, but the question is, can you best serve the purposes of God in a denomination or not? Well, I think the answer is yes to both. Uh, There are some churches that are going to seek to uh, please God and have a congregation that seeks to do the things that they believe the Bible teaches and some of those will have denominational uh, labels on them. They'll have a sign out in the yard that tells you they're affiliated with so-and-so-and-so-and-so. But really, if you get down to their core, they're really more affiliated and and uh, tied to to God's spirit than they are to any group of, of people or ideologies. And so it doesn't really matter. Um, but if you're shopping, uh, it's a good question to ask. How devoted are you to a certain denomination or a certain ideology, I've also found along along this line uh, that it will lead us into a into a, to another discussion here of another point, and we'll just call it the sixth one. And that is that churches that really want to please God and are desirable for Christians are biblically based, uh, biblically based, and they're not doctrinally arrogant. When I go in and look at a church or a denomination or even a uh, church-related school and I look at their statement of faith and it's page after page after page of dense detail, I realize that that particular group of people is building what I would refer to just as an exclusive, an excluding document. They want to tell you, you know, if you don't believe these 105,000 things, then you can't be a part of us. And, of course, every time they add one, they throw somebody else out. It seems to to me that Jesus was one of the great includers in his day. He was not an excluder. He sought in every way whether it been whether whether he encountered sinners. Um, he, he always uh, tried to bring those, those people, whether they be sinners or whether they 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 be poor uh, out on the fringe. He always tried to draw what Edwin Markham in his famous poem uh, called a circle that included." And so, so Jesus, if, if he was an includer, uh, why should we be exclusive? Well, some people say, you know, we want to be pure. We want to do this. Well, uh, none of us that are, are, are Christian believers really have a, a great uh, sense of purity. We have a great sense of redemption uh, and uh, um, and the fact that our lives have, have been um, uh, reclaimed, from our own demises that we make for ourselves, we have that sense, but but uh, we're far from a sense of per- perfection. So again, when you when you encounter whether it's in churches or groups or um, schools or denominations, when you encounter these lengthy. Uh, denominational and doctrinal statements, I would steer clear of those because those people are not following that inclusive pattern of Jesus. Um, you say, well, what about um, uh, judgmentalism? Should should we exercise good judgment? And I think there's a difference here between good judgment and judgmentalism. Judgmentalism means is you're not good enough uh, to be like me. Good judgment says we all fall short, and we all have a ways to go, and we all should be pursuing a higher path, so we don't want to ever exclude people by being doctrinally arrogant. I would look for churches that have very brief statements of faith and also schools denominations and and so forth uh we don't want um we don't want that lengthy exclusive document. Um, somebody once said, "You know we ought to see a statement of actions." Uh, don't tell us what you believe, tell us how you live. Tell us how you act uh because a lot of people would a lot rather judge what they see than what people claim to believe or claim to live. uh Show me what you do, and I'll tell you what you believe. But I do think uh that a church that uh, has a is is really desirable for true Christians who are seeking God and to please him they're going to be limited in their doctrinal arrogance. Uh, and their exclusivism um, let's take up a seventh point, uh, and that means um, that almost every church today, in one form or another, uh, no matter how large it is or whether it's just a small gathering, it's going to be a small group. Uh, I mentioned the one mega church in my my town that I live in, and I was very amused to to hear the pastor's observation. He said, you know, you really get involved in our church when you get down and get involved in a small group. And, um, you know, I kind of wanted to say, well, why don't you just do away with the multimillion dollar uh, buildings and the large group and just, you know, so everybody just goes straight into the small group. I really believe there, there are, are church leaders out there who believe if they don't have the big performance, um, they won't ever get the 20%. Uh, they've got to get that hundred percent of the people, so the eighty uh, percent can sit on the bench, and and the twenty percent can can play in the game. But um, I would just simply maintain that once we get down to those small groups, it doesn't matter whether you are one or whether you're a small group that's part of a larger group. That's where the water hits the wheel, a rubber hits the road. That's where it counts in being a Christian. And so I don't know that you need that larger body to get down into the seriously involved small groups. But they are absolutely necessary. Um, You can call them cell groups. You can call them home groups. You can call them mini churches, um, Bible study groups. Um, uh, it doesn't really matter what name you put over them, but ultimately almost all large Christian groups that call themselves churches find themselves in some type of small group setting, and it's almost obligatory for success. Very few churches are able to succeed with just a large show on Sunday. Um, people are looking for more. The 21st century Christian seeker wants relationship Where they share accountability, they can share prayer, they can open themselves about their beliefs, they look for mentoring, they look for relationship building, they look for community. And maybe more than anything else, they look for safety. They want a place where they can be themselves and not feel that everybody else is looking down on them. That's important, maybe more so than anything else, to being the kind of church that Jesus enjoys and approves of. We're looking at desirable church characteristics. Back in just a moment.
0: We'll return in a moment with host Steve Russell and Christian Living That Counts.
1: Hey friends, this is Steve Russell, host of Christian Living That Counts. I want to introduce you to my friend David Taylor. He's celebrating his 35th anniversary as a financial advisor. David is a CPA and has recently written a book to answer the need of so many ladies who came to his office after the passing of their husbands. Often they knew nothing of their financial details or status. David's book is called The Comprehensive Widow's Survival Guide. Be listening for my interview with David soon and learn how you can get your copy of The Comprehensive Widow's Survival Guide.
2: I am not the woman I used to be. I'm free with Minister Diane Jones. Monday nights at 10, 9 central on TogiNet. Do not let the weight of this world or the things that have happened to you control your life. For more on the show and Diane and her book, The Story of Me, email her directly from her show page here on Toginet. Then, join us for I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be, I'm Free, with Minister Diane Jones, Monday nights at 10, 9 central on Toginet.com.
0: Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts, your host, Steve Russell.
1: Welcome back. Christian Living That Counts. This is Steve Russell. We're going to close out our segments today. We've been looking at desirable church characteristics. My wife and I developed these a couple of years ago after many, many books about church. Much prayer and much delving into the scriptures and many, many, many church visits to local congregations to see what they were doing. Not to be judgmental and to criticize, but to Go to the Bible, go to the writings that are contemporary about church, and see what churches are doing about trying to be relevant in the 21st century. We've covered a number of those, seven out of the ten, and just to um, to rehash those with you briefly, and hope you'll go back and pick up on the podcast and listen to the entire uh, list, But the number one characteristic was to focus on Christian discipleship, which simply meant to go back to the life of Jesus and whatever of that life and those teachings of his that transfer into the 21st century, that we are serious about living a simple, loving, forgiving, peaceful life that he lived. To be serious apprentices of Jesus, number one, above all things for a church, to focus on Christian discipleship and apprenticeship. Number two, that the local church would have a rotation of teaching and preaching ministers and other ministry equippers, so that the congregation um, was able to access the giftedness of the entire body as Paul teaches in Corinthians, not just a handful of people. A third characteristic that the church is, by the Bible, taught to be led by elders, people who are in their mature years of their faith. They are godly adults and, in some cases, older in their age, experienced in the world and in living itself. A fourth thing. That the church would be participatory it never devolves into simply spectators watching performers but rather that everyone has the opportunity in some way to participate in the presentation of what happens when the church comes together a fifth thing we talked about the advantages disadvantage of being a denominational or an independent autonomous church apart from denominationalism We said simply that the individual church matters regardless of the labels that they may wear on the outside. Look deeply to see if the churches are following Christ and following the teachings of Scripture. Sixth thing, we talked about the church being biblically based but not doctrinally arrogant. I encourage people to stay away from lengthy doctrinal statements whether it be in a local group of uh, a church a denomination a christian school anybody who's got page after page after page of exclusivism trying to keep people out i would suggest jesus was an inclusive person and you should have a very brief doctrinal statement and you might also have a backup statement of this is what we do People want to see what you do more than hear what you say you believe. The seventh thing, a larger body that is typically gathered in smaller groups. Call them what you will. Home groups, small groups, many churches, cell groups. Something where people can break down the bigness of church and break it down for the sake of intimate and meaningful Bible study, personal prayer, accountability, sharing with one another, meals together, games, discipleship, mentoring, relationship building, in a one-word description where community can happen. And that had transitioned us into the eighth thing, which is a warm, friendly, welcoming caring and safe place one of my favorite authors in the Christian life has been Christian counselor Larry Crabb Larry wrote a book very appropriately titled about the church the safest place on earth if a church is not safe as the eighth desirable characteristic if it's not a place where you can open up and be yourself where you're afraid that if you disclose some shortfall in your life, some some failure that somehow everybody's going to turn their backs on you, turn away from you, condemn you, feel like you don't belong and you're not a part. If it's not a safe place, people are not going to want to be there. And it does not reflect the person of Jesus who took every person where they were, even in the story of the woman taken in adultery in john jesus approached her woman where are those who condemn you they're not here anymore lord well i don't condemn you either but by the way go and sin no more people need to know that they can state their failures state their their weaknesses And they will not be condemned. They will be encouraged. They will be forgiven. And they will be led along a path of restoration and refreshment. Without that, the church is simply not the body of Christ. So a warm, friendly, welcoming, caring, and safe place. Now, everybody's not going to want to hug when they walk through the door of your home or your group for the first time. That's okay. But somewhere along the line, the warmth and the safety has to be present. Looking at the last two, uh, one of them uh, that I think, and we'll call this the ninth one in in number sequence, and that is encouraging Christians to be involved outside the church. And this includes community programs and services. I, I really wish sometimes a church would not look to its members and say hey we've got a hundred things here that needs to be done in the church i wish instead the church would count its success by how many people are serving in community responsibilities how many city uh, counselors do you have uh, council persons how many sit on the city council how many are willing to go out and take the ridicule of leadership of a local uh, municipality of any size and uh, and and take the the blame and the praise that comes from those kinds of things. How how many people are leading um, uh, in the mentoring of little league teams? Um, how many people are 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 coaching soccer? How many people? I'm not talking about in the inner church league. I'm talking about getting out into the world where who we are as Christians. We we, we you know Jesus very early on in the Sermon on the Mount after the Beatitudes said people don't don't light a light and then cover it Uh, they they put the light on a lampstand so that it shines forth and and the church is too often guilty if it does discover light of totally enclosing it within the walls of the church or totally enclosing it away from the people who need to see it on the outside of the church walls so that the light doesn't shine any further than the stained glass window. And that's something that churches should strive not to do. Don't restrict people's gifts and talents and their volunteerism to what is done inside the walls of the church. Take it out there. Coach those little league teams. Be scout masters and Uh, and Girl Scout leaders, and soccer coaches, and and a volunteer in your big brother, big sister, and, and other mentoring programs, and your boys and girls clubs, all types of availabilities out there for the opportunities to let that light of Christianity and Jesus shine into your community by not keeping it within the walls of the church. So absolutely get outside And show yourself to the world and the gifts and the compassion of Christ uh, and his caring. Show it to the world and get out there and and do your thing outside the walls of the church. The last thing is uh, that the churches that are, are truly desirable, I think, are tolerant and respectful in their communications with and their understandings of people of other faiths little faiths, and even no faiths. I'll take other faiths, for example. All of us, if we are religious, believe that our way of believing is the right way. If we didn't, we'd change. We would, uh, those of us who grew up here in the Bible Belt and have just been inundated with Christianity, um, we don't realize sometimes that people who grew up in a total totally different part of the world and who have access to this broadcast through the miracle of the internet uh, they they haven't had that and so we have to respect the fact that they do not come with the body of knowledge and experience that we do to the face that they may have so I, I think there's a real need for us to show tremendous respect and I think Jesus would would do that as well he would respect the fact and not not expect people to to come from a place where they've never been. they just don't have the body of knowledge and experience to be familiar with that. So uh, people who um, who go to church, I think are looking for a church that doesn't condemn everybody who doesn't believe what they believe but rather looks for um, a common ground, uh, a, common, a commonality through which they can eventually share the gospel and their set of beliefs and what they believe. And, and when it's done in a respectful and tolerant manner, it means that we all hear each other. We do need to hear each other. We're not under this, this obligation to demand someone uh, believe what we believe. We, When we operate out of respect and tolerance, and everybody can share equally. And hopefully we find some commonality that stretches us across uh, our differences and gives us an opportunity to share the gospel. Well, today we've covered 10 desirable church characteristics my wife and I came up with a couple of years ago. And if you'd like a copy of this, go to our website. We'll make this downloadable for you along with the bibliography and a number of other helpful tools. And we hope you'll look further into this. More than anything else, I think if you're going to live a, a, a Christian life that counts, I hope you find a church where you feel comfortable, you feel safe, and you feel that it is it is pleasing God in the way that it meets, greets, and accepts people and encourages them in Christian discipleship. Until next week, Steve Russell, your host. Thanks for joining us.
0: Steve Russell returns next week at the same time discussing how renewed lives can make a difference in a broken world. Join us again for Christian living that counts.